Welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits, coming to you from the Recycle Garage in sunny Santa Cruz, California. Liar! Actually, <laughs> on fire! Well, some part of it is through the Recycle Actually, Garage. Actually, there's nobody on the podcast concept. right now. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you could nobody. argue, John, that you are in Santa Cruz County, aren't you? At least I'm in the county, but, you're right. Yeah. But the, the, Santa, the Recycle Garage is in Santa Cruz. And the Recycle like Garage that. is responsible for putting out this podcast. So there yes. we go. <laughs> so, um, no, it's wonderful, wonderful intro, Bagel. Thank you, darling. Well, thank and you. Uh, um, I, of course, um, am in Marina, California. John, you are in? I am in Boulder Creek, California, up in the Redwoods. Molder Creek. <laughs> Smolder <laughs> Creek. Smolder <laughs> Creek. Oh, dear. That's a bit controversial, isn't it? Yeah, it was last and, year. Um, <laughs> yeah. Bagels in Mud Hutland, I suppose. Veneta, Oregon, in the uh, the the land of the lo- the land of land of the moss people. The moss people. <laughs> yes. Wow. Oh God! I don't even dare think what a moss person <laughs> looks like. Oh, that's weird. You know what they like live in the moss. Basically, yes, that's what we do here. Oh, and, okay. Very and good. Now, now that oh, we it's just moss. Got- I thought you said moth. And I'm like, I really want to see these moth oh, no. peoples. Oh, no, not moth like the flying yeah. thing. Like no shiny, no shiny lights allowed in your, uh, in your town, huh? No, moss like the fuzzy <laughs> green stuff that grows oh, in the, okay. uh, the sidewalk oh. up here. <laughs> you know, there was a film doing the, round, doing the rounds about 20 years ago called, the, I think, The Mothman Chronicles. Yes, yeah, I remember the, that. I didn't, I didn't yeah. watch it. Rings a bell. It was right around the time that, um, Ashton Kutchner did the uh, the butterfly effect, which everyone was thinking, oh, yeah, it's got Ashton in it. It's going to be a really lightweight film. And it was the butterfly effect is anything but a lightweight film. Oh, my God. That is a hmm. messed up film. Um, but, yeah, it was around that, it was around that time. Very strange film. Hmm. Mothman Chronicles. Maybe hmm. I have to revisit that one. Anyway, this is a motorbike podcast, so we need to yes. talk about motorbikes. Um, yes. Bagel, darling. Yes, what, have you, what have you been up to? What have you been up to, sweetie? Well, today Aside I am from messing up your your ramp, messing <laughs> up your lift. Yes. Well, uh, I, I've been uh, reveling in the rain that we've gotten up here in Oregon, which has been wonderful. Uh, we have clear air and it uh, seems it's put out most of the wildfires, which is fantastic. Uh, but today I have been working on my salvage GTS 300, a.k.a. Shorty. Uh, na- named such because uh, it was uh, about a foot shorter in the rear when I got it. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I've been doing a transmission service on it. It uh, looks like it hasn't been opened up in a while. And I uh, figured I'd put a new belt and fresh rollers in there and everything. And mm-hmm. uh, also discovered that the, uh, the bearing in the clutch cover is uh, getting a bit chunky. So I'm mm. swapping that out tonight. I've got, uh, got the new one in the freezer to shrink it down. And okay. I'll, I'll do that after the show. Now so it's it's that yeah because I remember now this is the bearing, it's actually it's outboard of the clutch and it lives in the outside casing and there's there's a correct. cute little plastic chrome cover that just kind of clips over it, isn't it? Yeah. Um, now is is that just like an interference fit or is there a a, a, a snap ring that holds it in a, a circlip as we yeah. say in England? Yes, there there is a circlip. Um, but it is also a very tight fit in the case, so it's good to, to warm up the case and shrink the bearing so it just kind of right. drops right in. And straight away, we've only been doing the podcast for five minutes, and I'm going to give you a Motorcycles and Misfits top, top tip. tip. Oh, yeah? 
Um, when you're dealing with circlips or snap rings, as you Americans insist on calling them, people don't realize they are, in fact, handed. And it's quite difficult to see, but it's quite easy to feel. Well, you've got to remember, these things are punched out in a press. And so one edge is very, very sharp. And then the other edge has slightly rounded corners, depending on which way the punch was. So what you've got to do is you've got to think about the way the thrust is pushing the circlip and make sure that the sharper edge of the circlip or snap ring is facing in the direction of thrust for maximum efficiency. Not a lot of people know that. Um, and even though it's hard to see, it's very, very easy to feel with your fingers. If you feel the edges with your fingers, you'll feel that one edge is indeed a lot sharper than the other one. So just yeah. think about where yeah. the thrust is going. And make sure the sharp end is facing in the direction of the thrust. Yeah, excellent tip. Yep, yeah. and don't have a circlip jump out on you because it's extremely ugly, especially if it's in a piston. Oh, oh yes. Carnage. Yes, no. indeed. Norton Commandos and are notorious for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, I've I've dealt with a few of those myself in the Vespas over the years. Yeah, you know, it's 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 funny that something as benign and small as a circlip, which you can buy in any hardware store for less than fifty cents, can quite easily destroy an engine or a transmission mm. oh, yeah. in in short order. Yep. So, there you Indeed. go. And uh, I'm going to try a uh, a new tool tonight for the first time, which I picked up. He's in your uh, trousers, bagel. No, no, different tool. <laughs> uh, I'm trying a, out a uh, something I picked up at a yard sale recently, and it's a um, one of those uh, infrared heat lamps that they use at fast food places to warm up the the, the food. I figured I'd put the belt co- belt cover under that and use that oh, to heat wow. it up. Oh, that's a good idea. How big yeah, is this yeah. thing? It's it's about uh, maybe two feet tall and has maybe about uh, 14 inches of clearance underneath the heat lamps. So it can fit plenty of uh, sizable parts in there underneath it. Will you be making any French fries when you do this too? Uh, oh, I think you would. Not planning to. I don't. I didn't. I didn't take the fryer they had. <laughs> <laughs> so wait a minute. You say this was a yard sale. I mean, this is restaurant equipment. Yeah. Yeah, and it was just sitting there, and I was like, I don't know, five bucks or something. I was like, you know, I could use that. That Ooh, heat, heat that. is always heat is always good. Yes, and uh, yeah, and it works. You know, oh, not a cool. not a problem with it. So, yeah, I'll try that out tonight, and uh, and hopefully that should uh, should make it nice and easy. You know, fifteen twenty minutes on the lamp, I figure out it'd be enough. Right. Well, you know, it's always a it's always a problem because. If you have motorcycle parts that you need to warm up, like crankcases or transmission covers, I mean, generally you go towards the oven. Yeah. And, um, on a Sunday, there might be a roast in there. Don't want to put and it in there with the roast. Yes, exactly. But, you know, generally husband or wife, mom, dad, whoever, you know, Uncle Joe is usually not happy about you putting engine parts in the oven. So no. having an independent source of warming them up that sounds quite good um yep. but the old bearing in the freezer that's a, that's a wizard dodge i do the same yep. when i'm putting valve guides into yeah. a cylinder head oh yeah cylinder head gets warmed up 
valve guides get frozen and then they'll usually just push in mm -hmm. and then of course when everything goes back to temperature they're gripped very very strongly cut yes. your valve in and you are down the road so um so let me see border border heat lamp doing a transmission service on a vespa yeah. um and that's about a ten thousand mile every ten thousand mile service isn't it these days uh, well it's about uh, i think nine thousand is what's recommended yeah, <clears throat> and it, it just passed 18 and I, I don't know when it was serviced last so i figured i might as well just do it mm -hmm. and and looking looking at the belt it, it looks like it's got a good amount of wear on it it still has some life in it probably but i figure a fresh belt is is one less thing to worry about yeah um because you know especially these are larger vespas aren't they you yep. know so they're harder on their belts than say a 50 cc one would be oh definitely um, um so yeah, if you're if you're buying a used Vespa, factor in the cost of a belt and rollers. And are you an advocate? Because I know some people chuck out the rollers, mm -hmm. and you know they'll try wedges in there or really peculiar elliptical shaped stuff, which always seem to hang up and make a mess. Yeah, I've I've tried uh, sliders before with you know which have sort of flat surfaces on them. Yeah, um, I I had mixed results with those you have to be careful because you're 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 playing around with a lot of different physics in a cvt when you're yes. changing around the weights weights and uh in the variator <clears throat> and on the vespa one of the weak points is the the gasket on the oil sump cover mm. which is right below the uh the crankshaft and when when you put in a set of uh, weights inside the variator that end up pushing those pulleys a little bit closer together, that will push the belt out just a little bit farther, which, you know, which is, is great for delivering a, a higher effective gear ratio to the rear wheel. But when you push that belt out too far, it starts rubbing against the case right over the joint where that that sump cover is, Ooh. and it will it will literally cook the gasket, mm. and then you've got an oil leak just spewing all through your belt case and then dripping out your uh, back of the engine, and uh, that is not a fun job to replace. I had one, and it yeah. wasn't a GTS style. I think it might have been a Beverly. Mm-hmm. I yeah, Piaggio it, has the same engine, basically. Yeah, I think it yep. may have been a Beverly. Um, the customer was absolutely livid. Oh. Um, well, you know, you put a new belt in this thing, and now it's spewing oil. And it was it was exactly that deal. It was a brand new belt, mm -hmm. and it just pushed the pulley out enough. What kind of what kind of weights did they have in it? No standard, I think. Hmm. It was. It, I think it was an odd machining job. But mm. um, while we were on the subject of, of belts, um, I was showing everyone this lovely belt I got for my Trident. Oh yes, I'm replacing the. Uh, I'm replacing the uh, the chain with, but you know, fitting a belt when you've had a primary chain as standard is not a five minute job. There is all kinds of machine work that you actually have to do inside the primary cover to get a belt to fit. Um, but the benefits for me are going to be more power, um, less noise, because the primary chain does actually make quite a racket on English bikes. Um, 
I can't run it dry because unfortunately my oil pump gears are under there. So I have to run, I'll have to run it in oil, but it's, it's hmm. going to be a good conversion. On Bonnevilles, of course, you can run them dry, which is an added advantage because in an English bike, the less places the oil is, the less places it can leak out of. You right. See. So true. Um, <clears throat> so and, there you go. And, and the belt doesn't get bothered by uh, running in the oil? No, it's most of these. Actually, I think this is a German belt. It oh, well. is made by Synchroflex. Alles correct. Jawohl. It's Synchroflex. And it is safe for use in all chemicals, including gasoline. Very um, nice. I can't believe it was designed actually for a motorcycle. You know, inevitably, these conversion kits, they're designed to run with an existing belt. Hmm. So I'd love to know what this was for. It's some industrial application. But no, apparently Synchroflex say it's good for it's good for dry, it's good for oil, and it's good for, you know, just a multitude of things. So try a lot. Yeah. And the nice part is because it's now a toothed belt, I should get a nice little wine off it because mm. as the oil gets squeezed out of the grooves. Um, you It'll sound, you're sound like a supercharger. Like a little supercharger wine off it. <laughs> nice. Because here's the revelation. Supercharges don't make noise. Everyone knows that. Yep. It's the belts that drive them that make mm. noise. And this traditional whine you hear off a supercharger is actually the air getting squeezed out of the tooth belt because mm. it's got this giant three-inch wide tooth belt. And that's, that's what you hear the majority of. So yeah. tra-la-la. Um, so John, yeah. um, anything new with you? Uh, well, yeah. So, you know, I'm still in the process of repairing the damages I did to the XT out in the desert. So I've got the parts in this week and, you know, pretty amazing. I pulled the, uh, the cover off of where the, um, I, if you remember, I had a leak yes. uh, in the oil, uh, filter cover. Yes. And uh, boy, there was a hole there when I pulled it off. You definitely could see it from the backside. So that was a that was a pretty uh, strategic rock hit. <laughs> so well, did you just buy a new casing? Because it's only a little casing, isn't it? Yeah, I had to get it off of eBay. They didn't have, I couldn't find anything new, but yeah. eBay had one, and I picked it up, and there we go. So, and I've been working on the brakes and getting them back back up and going because uh, we're planning on a desert trip here in the next couple of weeks. So got to got to get ready to go out there with, with Jim again. And, I tell you what, what a testament to that little bike, though. I mean, it's a little 225, right? little mountain goat. Mm -hmm. And you are not the smallest fellow, John. Actually, I think I'm about as heavy as the bike is. I look yes. at the, the numbers. <laughs> and, <laughs> it's, it's pretty much taking everything you can throw at it, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I was I so mean, impressed. I mean, it's woefully out of its depth. <laughs> it and is. so are you to a certain extent, because you're learning. Yeah. You know, this is a new environment for you. Yeah, yeah. But the bike is taking everything. It's so much fun too, compared to you know, because I had a KLR in the desert a while ago, yes. and that's that's a chore. Uh, but this little thing is fun. Flip flip it around, and you know, the truth is, is often you know, it's not the bike, it's the rider. So uh, to right. your point, the, you know, the more I sort of work on my skills, but you know, I kept up with Jim's four fifty as much as I could, and. He's a better rider than I for sure, but um, yeah, I was super happy with that thing. So hopefully it'll stay together and for another year or two, and then we'll uh, we'll upgrade from there. But I'm, I'm right. super, super happy with the purchase for now. 
And, you know, as far as Jim goes, I mean, that's going to be where you're at in a year. Yeah. And Jim's probably going to be entering in the Baja 1000. He probably will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just, but he has really taken the bull by the horns. Yeah. And I can't remember anybody who, in my circle of friends, who has jumped in quite as hard as he has. Mm-hmm. I think if Jim had his way, he would just move down to Mojave and ride in the desert yeah. every day. All day, every day, and be the happiest guy in the in the world doing it. Yeah, he loves it. He's so in his element doing it, and he don't mind doing it by himself. I'm a little, it's a little sketchy for me to be out there by myself, but he he's fine with it. Well, so, you know, it's it's yeah. certainly an adjustment when you yeah. when you go out there by yourself. I mean, there are ways and means of um making it safer. Yeah, he's got the Garmin. Yeah, yeah, he's got the Garmin, which is great. You make absolutely sure your bike is fighting fit. You make absolutely sure you have enough water. You make absolutely sure your bike has enough fluids. Right. Because something as simple as water. Mm-hmm. You know, here we are in civilization. Oh, I need a drink of water. I'm going to go to the fridge and get one. Right. Or no water in the fridge. I'll drive down to the corner store and get one. Not having water in Mojave can kill you very quickly. Yeah, well, even yeah. in the wintertime. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Just because it's not hot, it doesn't mean you're not getting hydrated. That's right. These are things you've got to think about. Um, yep. So, um, great. So, yeah, so the other thing I'll say is, um, I don't know if you if you two saw it, but there was an article in a Pakistani English newspaper Yes, about, about Liza. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and the group. So and simul- out- simultaneously trashing the yes. New Zealand. What is it? Rugby team or cricket team? I thought it was <laughs> a cricket team. Yeah. Yeah. The they, cricket yeah. Team. Feeble. Yeah, they, just, they decided it was too dangerous, and then uh, you know, the group of women are riding in the Chickistan, and, yes. uh, <laughs> and and they're they're good to go. So right. yeah, there you go. So they're yeah, tougher than a New Zealand you- cricket team. Yes. I'm wow. gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna upset any of our New Zealand listeners right now. Sorry, Kiwis. Your cricket team are feeble. Feeble. <laughs> Going to be ashamed of themselves. But, but I've been following them, and they look like they're having just a tremendous time over there. Oh, the, the pictures are amazing, and I yeah. still want to go. I know Bagel went. I yeah. still want to go there next year. You you should. I highly recommend it. So I'm sure we'll hear lots of good stuff from Liza next week. Mm-hmm. Yes. Looking oh, forward to it. So, I mean, this is the last show where you basically have to put up with me as a host because Liza will be back next week and back in her rightful place as captain of this ship. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the shows will become a little more coherent. But everyone's <laughs> been very kind so far. We haven't had any hate mail yet, have we, John? Not that I've seen. So thank you all for not hating us. <laughs> that's, that's probably because they sent it to Cleveland Moto. Yeah. <laughs> ah, yes, exactly. And yeah. I haven't seen Philip lately. Um, but no, ho- hopefully we've been holding things together. But, you know, I'll say it before, I'll say it again. You know, it isn't the same without Liza. No, she has um, energy. It isn't the same without Naked Jim, but you know what? I think he's down south again. No, I got a text from him. He, uh, he, yeah, he was down south with his daughter. Oh, well, oh, there nice. you go. Which, so Jake is Jake is down there. So, 
cool. So um, for those who don't know, Jake is um, supremely badass. She makes her living. She's in the Navy. And Jake's living is jumping out of helicopters and saving sailors in distress. So if you see this footage, you know, ship goes down, sailors in the water, drowning, clinging onto life rafts. And you see these people that come in on helicopters and jump out of the helicopter mm -hmm. with a rope. And type, that's Jake. She's trained yep. up nines to do that. And she's just completely badass. Yeah. I, I saw a picture of her flexing her guns mm -hmm. and she looked a female Arnold Schwarzenegger, but with more tattoos. Wow. She, yeah, she is just the greatest. Yeah. And um, we remember as this scrappy little kid that started coming to Misfits on her yeah. Nighthawk 250. I remember when she was on a moped. <laughs> oh, yeah, before the night. Yeah. yeah, I only knew her on the Nighthawk, but you predate that. Yeah, the moped that got stolen, unfortunately. But, but then it gave her a chance to move up. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. here she is now, you know, jumping out of Black Hawk helicopters. No fear. Bless so, um, so we, I mean, we're getting very, very close to having our guests on. Um, should we mix things up a little bit, John? Um, sure. Let's do a couple of emails now and so get I that out of the way. And both then, of you should have one. Yeah. And then once we've read the emails, we can get Shay and Amanda on. Mm -hmm. who are our fabulous guests who have been on before because yes. Shay's got a lot of news for us. Yeah. So, um, Bagel. Yes. Why don't you start with an email? All right. Well, I have an email from iExplorer. I read, greetings, misfits. Act from West Texas here. Dang. If someone, if someone wants to attempt an accent, <clears throat> just do your best Matthew McConaughey or Billy Bob Thornton. It's all not right, a right, southern, right. It's not a southern accent. It's a Texas accent. <laughs> Down well, the grass. That's where the hooting and hollering stops, I guess. I think if you're going to do Matthew, you got to take your shirt off. Okay, <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that, John. <laughs> the, the glow will blind people. We don't do that. Anyway, down to brass tacks. Two things. First. Liza mentioned something a little bit ago that I wanted to echo about still loving to look at your back and appreciating it all the time. I do this every day. When I get to work in the morning and after lunch, I always look back at my bike like it was the first time and think that is the most beautiful bike I've ever seen. We've Aww. been together for a little over 10 years now. And Aww. just like my love for my wife, my affection Aww. for my bike hasn't dwindled. Oh, so cute. Second, a question for Miss Emma. Hello, darling. As a hypochondriac, when something goes wrong, I always assume and fear the worst. Of course so, you do, darling. So when my front brake lever started getting hard to pull, I, of course, went through all the worst case scenarios. Yes. Some of those scenarios were problems with the brake line. In the end, it turned out to only need a little WD-40 and all's well. But it got me wondering about bleeding the brakes. I had to bleed my rear brake years ago during a caliper change, but that was part of a different project and had nothing to do with regular maintenance. My question is, how often should you bleed your brakes? And is it bad that I haven't bled my front brakes in almost 11 years? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thanks for the help and entertainment, Misfits. Oh. 
Y'all are still the best motorcycle podcast out there. Oh, Shiny Stied Up, Ike from West Texas. P.S. I would say, fuck knock, but he hasn't been around in a while, and that makes me <laughs> sad. So I'll just say, I, I miss knock. <laughs> oh, I like Ike. Yes, no, and I, I second that. I miss knock. Yeah. No, uh, well, I'm, I miss knock, but yeah, great question, Ike. Um, here's the straight dope. And I'm not messing around here because this is your life. Yes. You should change your brake fluid every two years. Why? Why? Why is this? Well, I shall tell you. Brake fluid is hygroscopic. It takes all the moisture out of the atmosphere and draws it into itself. Now, even if you live in a, quite a dry place like Texas, and Texas is dry, it ain't yep. the Mojave Desert. There's still moisture in the air. With moisture in the air comes impurities and oxygen and corrosive elements and all these things. So basically, your brake system is corroding from the inside out. How do we know this? Well, aside from the physics of it, how many times have you seen kind of like that crusty white film around the master cylinder lid? You know, this beautiful black master cylinder. Just right around the lid, there's always this crusty white stuff. What is that stuff? Well, that's the aluminum corroding from all the impurities in the brake fluid. Um, so that's we should we should flush it every two years and brake fluid will actually tell you when it needs changing when you pour brake fluid out of the the jar now i'm i'm dealing with dot 3 or dot 4 now dot 3 or dot 4 it should be either clear or the color of healthy pp and not the color of pp if you have an std or, you know, a urinary tract <laughs> in for a kidney stone <laughs> or a kidney stone. I'm talking about you've been to the pub, you've had a couple of beers, you're having a nice golden peepee, a golden color, as it were. Well, this is the color of brake fluid, depending on the manufacturer or clear. When it goes the color of beef soup, time to change it. Yeah. And it will tell you. Now, we're going to get on to Harley-Davidson's, which take dot five brake fluid. Dot five brake fluid is silicon-based. It doesn't mix with any other brake fluid. If you have dot five in your bike, don't put dot three in it. Don't put dot four in it. You'll make a hell of a mess. You'll destroy the seals. It'll be an awful. So you've got to decide what fluid it is in your bike. Now, most Harley Davidson's take dot five, and it'll clearly say so on the lid. Dot five, I've seen in a variety of colors. I've seen it clear, but the most often color I've seen it is purple of mm -hmm. all things. It's almost like um, it's a it's a weird sort of purpley, translucent purple color. It's quite a pleasant color. You almost want to drink it. I'm sure you'd die oh, quite quickly if it's you like did. Kool Aid would not yes. recommend that. It's like grape Kool Aid. Um, it is not hygroscopic, which is good news, right? Of course, it doesn't suck the moisture out. It doesn't destroy your paintwork, 
paintwork if you spill it all over your your gas tank. However, it still needs changing, and I shall tell you why. Whenever you operate the brake lever, whenever the pistons pop in and out of the caliper, there's still metal-on-metal contact. Yes, you say, well, hang on, I've got seals that, you know, push the fluid around, and that is true. But ultimately, you still have a metal piston, which is usually made out of steel with a zinc coating on it, pushing against the aluminum of Mm. the master cylinder. Or again, in the case of the piston, you've got a nice steel, chrome steel piston pushing against the aluminum of the caliper. So it's forming microscopic metal particles. And you want to get those out of there. So, you know, you can stretch it a little bit if you have silicon, if you have dot five silicon fluid in, you know, maybe five years tops. But 11, bad Ike, naughty Ike. Get those brakes bled right now, please. Now, we talked about this today a little bit. So what what is your preferred method of, of bleeding brakes? Because you got the old school method of just like doing it by hand and you got pumps yeah. and compressors and all that stuff. I've, I mean, I've never seen the need to use a compressor, um, even in very, very difficult bleeds. Because the thing is with a motorcycle, you know, brake suction systems were really designed for cars, one-man operation with a car, mm-hmm. where if you're if you're trying to bleed the brakes in the car, you're basically you're sitting in the driver's seat, pumping the pedal, right. and you know the the nearest calipers five feet away from you, so and you know unless you've got ungodly long arms, you can't reach it. So you need sort of a one-man or a one-woman operation, which is where the brake bleeding system comes in motorcycle you've got a big advantage i mean you know you've got a lot less real estate to deal with you can actually if you're bleeding say the front brake you can be pumping the 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 lever and operating the bleed valve you know with with your other hand so i i go old school the way i bleed brakes is i'll get a clear plastic hose and i like clear plastic because you can see what's going on Stick it on the bleed nipple, pour a little bit of brake fluid. There's Shay. Hey, Shay. Pour a little bit of brake fluid in a mason jar. Put the hose in it. Back off the bleed nipple half a turn and get pumping. Pump the level down in the master cylinder. Keep it topped off until you get that nice pee-pee colored brake fluid coming out of the caliper. Real simple. Lock it off. Get a nice firm pedal. Bob's your uncle, as it were. Mm. There you go. So, yeah, yeah old school's the best school, you mm. know. Um, and if you ever, again, I'll give you a very, very quick top tip. If you've got brand new brake lines, because a lot of people, oh, I'm going to put stainless steel brake lines on my bike, which is great. Um, and they can't bleed the brake afterwards. It's very, very simple. All you have to do is introduce a step stall and if you introduce a step stall you unbolt the calipers and hold them higher than the master cylinder oh and follow exactly the same steps for bleeding your brake and they'll bleed in a snap Hmm. because you, you can't build a head of pressure in the master cylinder because basically every time you pull it in you know, fuel just dribbles straight down the empty hose mm-hmm. and you can't build up enough pressure. So the easiest way is just hold the calipers above the master cylinder. 
Interesting. The higher you hold them, the quicker it'll go. I've actually backed off the bleed nipples and held them up on a stick and then bleed, 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 bleed. And then as soon as the master cylinder goes and you feel that pressure that it's bleeding, you can bolt them back on and finish the job. Wow. Nice. didn't know that. That's awesome. That's a great tip. Oh, yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah. So that's that. Um, you know what? I mean, I've got um, an email, but it can wait sure. because I am very, very kid. I am keen to hear from Shay. Um, when was the last time we checked in with you, Shay? It was a couple oh. of years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, I was actually going to check on that. I think it was two. two I think it was. I hadn't finished that, yeah. the turbo wing, and you were working on yours. You'd okay. inherited your gold wing. And, oh, the gold wing. Oh, yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah. So, um well, welcome back, old friend. So yeah. you, a lot of people are going to either not remember because they have no attention span, or we've actually picked up a few listeners since then. Mm -hmm. So, um, Shay, tell everyone who you are and why they should be interested in your exploits, because uh, I think this is bloody marvelous. <laughs> Yeah, it's, a lot has happened. I just looked it up. It was March of 2019. So we're looking at two wow, and a half years. Wow. Two and yeah. a half years. You have done a lot. I have. Two and a half years. Not so, enough, though. Well, um, I know. So my background is I'm an electric vehicle engineer by day. I do battery, uh, lithium iron battery development for electric vehicles. Um, and by night and weekends, I'm building a land speed electric motorcycle in my garage. I've been doing it for four years now, which never thought it would take that long, but um, it is at the point where it can be um, tested and tuned, which has been a long process because the whole thing's been built in my garage by myself, like built the whole tube chassis, developed a whole battery, um, tried to figure out a good way to get affordable drivetrain for it. So everything's, um, well, everything was close to self-funded, but I actually had a, a successful GoFundMe that got me about 25,000 bucks, which was super helpful. Right. So now at this point, I'm basically where I need to take it to Bonneville, which I've done once so far and really open it up. So the exciting part is here. Before we go any further, Shay, I want to make sure people are clear about this because you just said, yeah, I've got an electric land speed record bike. And so people are thinking, well, it probably looks like a zero or something like that with a bit of bodywork on it. Mm -mm. It does not look like that. This no. is a proper liner. Oh, this yeah. is the real deal. Um, it's how long is it? It's twenty, uh, just over nineteen feet long. So, so it basically, it's a it's a twenty foot long cigar. Mm -hmm. It looks every inch the land speed record bike. Yeah. And um, so, tell us about Bonneville. So you, oh, you took it. How did how did that go? Uh, it went okay. It was a it was an experience. Um, I don't know if you follow me on uh, social media or not, but I, I kind of tried to cover as much as I could while I was just scrambling. I mean, the week, the week leading up to it was just pure mayhem. I had finished making my own carbon fiber body for it, which was a completely like crazy, insane endeavor on my part. I never thought that I would, uh, you know, even try and make it. You know, what I mean, so taking on that process was like a from zero learning curve kind of thing where I had to teach myself how to do carbon fiber, teach myself how to right. do like foam layup. I would just gotten that done maybe a month before Bonneville. So I was riding high, like feeling real good. 
Yes. But I had to put the put the carbon on it. So I had one week before Bonneville. So I start putting the carbon on the chassis, which looks like a Mad Max bike without the bodywork on it. And uh, got all that done and just kind of scraped together um, all of the tools. Like the place was just a, a mess called a thrashing, I guess, where you're just taking tools and throwing them out of your way. And, you know, basically like no regard for cleaning anything. And I picked everything up and just kind of shoveled it into the back of the trailer and closed it up and, and left. <laughs> wow. Um, which uh, t- turned out to be not the best method. Um, maybe oh. like two hours down the road, you know, we stop and I'm like, we should check, you know, we should check out the back of the trailer and make sure like, everything's okay. Right. So we open it up and my buddy, uh, Jordan Valona, who's from chick chick photo, who went to take photos of the event. He's riding with me and I'm like, Hey Jordan, the bike fell over. And he's like, Oh, oh funny, funny joke, you know? And then he walks back there and the bike's just tipped over on its side. Oh. And I guess what had happened was, um, I had been, I'd got a, a plasma cutter, like a CNC plasma cutter and I was par- cutting all these parts to weld and mount stuff. And, you know, one of the edges of one of these new parts that was on there was fairly sharp. And I guess one of the tie downs that had been holding down the bike was rubbing against that wow. sharp, fresh, sharp edge. Yeah. So like two hours into the trip, driving down 680, which is just, you know, launch ramps for a trailer. Um, one of the tie downs broke. And when that happened, it, it basically just flopped the bike over to one of the landing gears and that landing gear proceeded to just fall completely through the the floor of the trailer so oh no we come to a stop and the bike's on its side and i'm like that doesn't either i broke the landing gear or i broke the trailer so i look under the trailer and there's just this arm sticking out like a foot (laughs) (laughs) at the bottom of the trailer floor i mean it was better than the arm breaking honestly the trailers whatever so Well, I was going to say, obviously, the conclusion from this, Shay, is your engineering is considerably more sound than the trailer manufacturer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, maybe I should spend more time just tying stuff down. <laughs> no, I mean, actually, I think you're in good company because I seem to re- remember that um, who was it who had a bike fall over on his way to Bonneville? I th- think it might have been Bert Munro on his Indian back in the oh, 60s. Really? Yeah, he had a bike fall over in the trailer or something. So you're in good company. Yeah, seems oh, like um, it's pretty par for the course. How much How much does this beast weigh? Uh, with me, it's 1,800 pounds. Oh, wow. So wow. just under a ton, which is pretty light for a streamliner, especially an EV where the battery is, yeah. you know, is the source of all the energy um, right. versus like a gas now, one where, you know, they'll be around... They'll be around 1,500 pounds to 2,000 pounds for the gas, but they have significantly more horsepower. You know. Than, well, than I was going to so. say, and I mean, I know that you are going to be tempted to give the answer in kilowatts, which means absolutely nothing to mortals like yeah. us. <laughs> Estimate the horsepower of that thing. Uh, so it's a. I've I've gone through this. I've already done the conversion. It's a it's a 180 kilowatt motor. Right. So it can do approximately 250 horsepower um the it's a single speed transmission that's been just geared to go right Right now it's around 270 is the max gearing for the bike because i'm just trying to you know see what it can do um and it's uh it's got enough torque to take off in a single speed which is impressive because you know you see these other bikes they have to get pushed in first gear and you know the you know the rpms don't even kick up for the bike to run until like 60 miles an hour so this one can wow I can move it around my part, my, my garage area, you know, just in reverse and forwards. I can just park it and pull it in wherever. 
So um, it's got a ton of torque. Um, that being said, the motor doesn't like doing it. Um, it gets the IGBTs a little warm from the beginning, but hmm. um, I could use a push truck, but I think just starting from a stop is pretty cool too. So, and it proved to be functional. I mean, the first, the trip to Bonneville, we did get a run. Um, it was a, quite an eventful one. I could, you know, I'll tell you guys a story after I finish oh. getting there, but um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great functioning vehicle at this point. It just needs some, some small um, creature comforts, I guess you'd call them, or like, uh, user feed. Yeah. User feedback features, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty crazy right now. So nice. Yeah. But you had quite an adventure just getting there, didn't you? Yeah. Aside, so, aside from the trailer, the bike falling over in the trailer. Yeah. The, this wall. Oh yeah. Yeah. It oh a, yeah. Okay. It took, it took two days to get to bottom. It should take 10 hours, but right. I had gotten yeah. this bigger trailer that was 24 foot. Um, which was great because the bike just rolled into it. I, I've been having problems with getting the bike into the trailer because it's so low. I have to like back the van up onto it, uh, the rear tires up to kick the trailer up to get the angle correct, or else it just drags it across the floor. So I got this 24 footer, which made it so I could just roll it through the back, which is great, but it was way too big for my van. Um, and the van had some significant issues trying to pull it up to Tahoe, which was um overheating um transmission was spewed um which luckily we caught and then the rear differential blew a a seal so it was just puking diff fluid over the top and then uh maybe like 10 minutes from reno the the rear tire exploded (laughs) while it was pulling we were actually in the car we're you know me and my buddy we haven't seen each other a long time we're telling stories and we're talking about Oh, we used to get flat. I'll tell you about a flat tire I got. And then as we're doing that, you know, we hear a, a, a noise coming off the barrier. We're like, well, that sounds like that's too convenient. And we pull over and just, you know, one minute later, the tire's on its rim. So wow. I spend, I spend maybe 20 minutes, like thinking like, I got a plug kit. Like I'll plug it. We'll just get it to Reno. We'll camp and we'll, we'll get it replaced in the morning. So I'm like shoving plugs in this thing and nothing's working. Um, I shoved like four plugs in and then it turns out I, pl- I shove one plug in and then like one beat, you know, one spot over another one goes and I'm like, Oh, it's delaminating. I'm like, oh, if I no. get enough plugs in this thing to get to Reno, <laughs> we'll be fine. <laughs> so, oh my God. I'm under there just shoving plugs in this thing and we get it up, get it to hold and we pump it up to like 60 PSI and just all the plugs just shoot out at the same time. Oh, and the no. tire just goes completely flat. <laughs> and mind you, I have like, I have like 8,000 pound trailer and this van weighs 6,000 pounds. And yeah. it's like nine. It's at that point we had been trying for so long. It was maybe like midnight. So oh. we were lucky enough to get a guy who could tow the van back and the trailer and drop us off at a, like a tires plus that was open on um, Sunday. So that was, yeah, that was annoying. Um, but it was fun. I mean, it's part of the story, right? It just took a whole nother day well, to get there. I'm I'm oh. interested in your route. Why did you choose to go through Tahoe as opposed to? Do you think that was easier than going over the Donner Summit? Uh, I don't Donner Summit. That's uh, eighty, right? Yeah, that's yeah. eighty. Yeah, that's the way I went. Was I mean, you're you're basically oh, oh. going up from from above Truckee. To yeah, Reno, right. Yeah, so, so you did take the direct route, but yeah, yeah, and that's that was the way I was like, this is going to be the easiest, you know. And I guess I was just a little too hammerfoot with it, so. Well, it's 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 a long crawl when you get north Sacramento. I mean, yeah. it's just miles uphill. But yeah, uh, eight thousand feet. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. So, 
but we, we ended up getting there Sunday night. We left Saturday morning. We ended up okay. getting su- a Sunday night, like midnight. And then we okay. went straight to the salt the next day. And it was at that point, um, I had known that there was not everything was done on the bike. Like not everything was completed and ready to pass inspection. So I rolled through inspection, you know, let them look at the bike and then went to the pits and, and started working that day through the next day to get inspected. And then I think we ran two days later, uh, right. essentially. So how um, many do you think were up there running this year? Uh, speed week was pretty full. Um, yeah. I'd never been to speed week. I'd only been to like some private events. Um, the Mike cook shootout, which is like 20 teams or something. This was everyone, everyone that ever right. wants to go to Bonneville was out there. I would, I would right. say a couple, so a couple hundred. hundred teams. Yeah, yeah. Hundreds, hundreds, which made for some really long lines, but, um, I didn't get going until later in the week anyway. So I, my line wait was only like five hours or something like that. So, but nevertheless, I, I bet that machine drew a lot of interest. The surprising thing was it was, I mean, through the pits and stuff, not very many people showed up. I mean, it was funny, you know, most people didn't even know we were electric because once you put the carbon on there, I mean, I didn't put any graphics on it to say it was electric. I just made a streamliner and I right. put like my logo and stuff on it and sponsors. And then I forgot to like, promote that it was electric so people would come by like hey do you got like a fuel like a fuel funnel or something and i'd be like yeah funny joke and they'd be like oh okay like this guy's a dick (laughs) like no because we're electric i thought you were joking you know (laughs) like no one had any clue you know they walk up and be like oh cool man like i don't see the where's the exhaust come out i'm like oh yeah it's it's electric (laughs) so but once we got to the line um it was really it was really cool because we actually had to go they started me off in the long line and the rookie line had been, had been cut off by the time I had gone, I guess something was wrong with the track. So they started me off in the long run because I'm a streamliner. I guess I can do that. So I was next to like, uh, some of the bigger teams like, uh, Valerie, Valerie Thompson was out there right. and the revolt team who's with, um, I'm drawing a blank on the names right now, but, um, a lot of, in the nebulous theorem, like these, these cars and bikes and stuff that I'd seen for a long time, they were all in line with me. We had like five hour wait. Someone had crashed and had to be hell lifted out. So we were walking around and they, everyone was really stoked to see me out there. I mean, they knew it was my right. first run. They were cheering me on. Like when I left the line, which was that in itself was just a, a, a drama inside the cockpit. That was a almost heartbreaking, but um, it, yeah, everyone was super stoked to see it. And everyone was really excited to see me take my first run, which you know I was too, at this point, I hadn't, I hadn't even practiced riding this thing in like a year, like driven it around wow. or anything. So they paid, you know, they basically sat me at the line and were like, okay, go drive it. And I hadn't even balanced it in like a year or so. So I was pretty stressed out. Well, prior to Bonneville, mm. had you, I mean, had you just been riding it around on the back streets of Morgan Hill or had you actually <sighs> been to a track of some description? I took it. When we visited, yeah. you were just up and down the driveway, basically. Oh, that was yeah. Two and a half years ago. That was like me just pushing it down the driveway and learning how to steer it, right? Yes. Yeah. So I took it to El Mirage um, two years ago, okay. and I got all the way out there. I got I passed through inspection. I didn't have the body on it, so it was like a, a time only yes. class, a non streamliner. But I just wanted to get out and open it up, right, and see what happened. I just see what it do. Yeah, and I had actually I we they they queued me up and they're like, all right, get your bike out to the line, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'll just drive it over there. Like, no, 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 you can't drive your bike over there. You have to tow it. And I'm like, 
what? Like, I don't <laughs> know how to tow this thing. I've never towed it before. So like we're scrambling to get the van out and all this stuff. And in all this like drama, like we're trying to figure it out, I'm like pulling on the front tire. And as I'm pushing the front tire, my hand gets caught like oh, no. in between the forks and it Ooh. runs my hand through the forks and just splays <gasps> open my fingers Aww. like the two fro- and i'm like, like you know it's it's okay it's it's pretty bad i need like a lot of stitches but i feel like i should just do it but then at the same time like this was my parachute hand to pull the parachutes which was a requirement for the the run yeah. and i couldn't even squeeze my hand so i was like oh dude i gotta go to the hospital instead of do this whole thing we've been leading up doing for oh, um, three no. years you know Man. so that's that was a bummer we drive home and I get stitches in Gilroy airport or Gilroy hospital. And then maybe two weeks later, I was like, you know what? This, this, is, this sucks. Like I can't even take the bike out to test it. I took it out maybe down the street from my house and, and tested it up and down, but it was only like 60 miles an hour. So I, I went to a place called Crow's landing, which is just outside of a uh, Peterson or Patterson, um, California. Yes. It's, it's over, over Mount Hamilton on the other side of the mountain range there. Okay. Right, right, right. Yeah, um, but it, it's it's basically it's right off of Interstate Five, isn't it? That's correct. Yeah, and it's a yeah. it's a decommissioned NASA airfield with two mm. landing strips, which are just over a mile long each, and they're basically just monitored by the sheriffs. So, like, you can go out there, you can rent it if you're an EV company, and I've done that before with other companies I've worked with, or if you're just Joe Schmo, you can show up on the weekend. And you can try and take runs in between the sheriff showing up <laughs> and then they'll just give you the boot. You do a couple of laps around town and you show back up and run until they kick you out again. Um, so we got two really good runs out there, which were both around hundred miles an hour. Um, and the parachutes failed. Um, the bike turned off during regen. So I was going about hundred miles an hour and just had to use the rear brake, which is it's okay, but it turned pretty red hot trying to stop yeah. a thousand, a thousand uh, 1800 pounds from 100 miles an hour within a certain right. distance so wow. yeah but it's, at least it's like 15 feet behind you it's, it's not gonna set yeah. your ass on fire yeah it just set the rest of it on fire um shay i'm gonna ask you to carry on i've got to go yeah. and get the charger for my laptop because my indicator is flashing red so yeah. you just carry on as as yeah. if i'm still here that's right i can keep going um <laughs> Yeah, I think we can go back to more of the Bonneville stuff, honestly. Because yeah, t- tell us about the run you made. So the run was intense. The lead up to it with the inspection was pretty thorough, and I had done such a poor job of packing that I forgot um, these two metal panels that go on the side of the bike to keep your feet from flying out. Right? Oh man. Um, so I was like, okay, we got to go. We got to go to the hardware store and get metal. And we actually we were leaving Bonneville the first day to go get lunch. And, um, we go to this Mexico place. We're like making a list to go to the hardware store with. And as we're leaving, my buddy Jordan's like, he's like, what's that over by the dumpster? Like, I don't know. Like, what are you looking at? And we both start looking and there's this old stainless steel countertop, which is like sheet metal, stainless oh. steel sheet metal. Yep. So we throw that in the van and like, just pull it out of the trash can, throw it in the van. It's like the perfect thing to make these panels with. So we're using like Mexican restaurant, like old countertops to make the side panels to pass inspection there was a a lot of hot glue a lot of wires and a lot of like small things we had to do to really get it like ready but um it turned out like i forget which day it was but basically we got we got everything inspected um everything qualified and everything functioned well while we were in inspection Uh, but we ended up 
once again, having to tow the bike to the start line, which um, with the new trailer setup that I have, I didn't want to pull it in the trailer because I couldn't do it with all the bodywork on. So we basically, we strap um, like a toe strap or a tie down to the front of the bike. And my buddy just drags it to the start line, which is three miles away. The pits are wow. three miles from the start line. So wow. I'm getting dragged to the salt with this landing gear, you know, just kind of like going back and forth. And I guess at some point, in that period, um, it jostled something, which is good to know, you know, I've never done any of this stuff. So something with the landing gear got like misaligned or jostled. Right. Mm -hmm. So we get all the way to the start line. Um, they, they had a huge delay, but by the time they opened it back up, like everything started going real fast. So I wasn't really ready, you know, mentally ready until I realized like I'm already in the bike. They're pushing, they're pushing me up to the next uh, part of the line, which is like the start line. And the lady's basically saying like, Hey, you, um, you know, whenever you're ready, you can start your engine, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, it's on. And she looks at me like, what? Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, it's, it's electric. It's on, you know? And she's like, okay, what, whatever. You know? <laughs> and, and walks away. Cause you know, usually then they're like, Vroom. so right. uh, we end up putting the canopy on. And at this point, like Valerie Thompson, cause my friends had no clue what they were doing at this point like we i didn't know what they were supposed to do right especially the the follow truck supposed to follow you know i'm the only person that really knows this bike very well so my friends are like just tell me what to do you know i'm like all right well put the canopy on you know we practiced it once where they put the canopy on and uh valerie's over there valerie thompson like watching them do it which is rad because she's just pointing at stuff like hey like that's good right did you check that you check that and they're like yeah yeah we got it we got it and then so she's just pointing out which is really rad to have someone come help and and I really appreciate that because, you know, I don't think I don't, I don't have a crew chief at this point, which I need to get one yeah. and someone who owns that. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's good to have a second set of eyes on everything. Absolutely. So, especially for someone that 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 is that experienced and knows yeah. like what to look for. It was great. So that made me feel a lot better. Plus, she's sitting there holding the umbrella and it's like 100 degrees up, which that made me feel oh. a lot better, too. Oh, wow. Um, so they throw the canopy on and the lady's like, you know, time to go. And I'm like all right, let's do this. And I push the throttle and like nothing happens. And I'm like, Oh, oh. crap. Like, okay, well let's, let's just think about it for a second. Like, okay, let's push the button, you know, push, push the on off button, you know, push it on and off. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's try it again. Nothing. She's like, okay, let's go. And she can't see me. And I'm like, okay, uh, let's, uh, uh, I don't know. Let's try and cycle the bike. Right. Which takes 15 seconds. So I'm like turning off all the contactors and then let it sit for like, two seconds, three seconds, and then start going through the pre-charge circuit. Uh, like basically turn the bike on, turn the fan on, turn on the pre-charge circuit, pre turn on the main contactor, turn off pre-charge. And then at that point I can push the, the, the motor on button, which is drive or it's not even drive, it's just motor on. Um, so I push that and like, I guess it goes and I, I push the throttle and it starts moving forward. And I'm just like, Oh dude, wow. thank God. Because in my <laughs> brain, I'm just sitting there like we did all this stuff and I'm going to tow it back to the freaking pits Cause right. I don't know, like something dumb, right. you know, something on the way here broke, you know? So luckily it lurches forward and I'm just like, this is awesome. Like I'm at Bonneville strapped into this machine and I'm starting to feel the salt, like shake the bike and the noises and stuff. And, um, at this point I had never driven the bike without the landing gear down as like a safety thing. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I don't know. It's kind of nerve wracking to be in this thing and think that like, once you pull that landing gear up, like don't fall over, you know? 
Yeah, so, that's holding you up. Exactly. And I had designed the landing gear to be um, LED-based. So there was two LEDs on the dash. One meant that the landing gear was down, and one meant that the landing gear was up. So I had, in between, there's like a period where the LEDs aren't telling you anything, right? So I give it, I give it the gusto. I start pulling the landing gear up, and the lights are um, like telling me the, land, the landing gear is getting pulled up. So I'm gunning it, um, and then, you know, after maybe like four seconds, the landing gear should be up, and the lights aren't telling me the landing gear is all the way up. And I'm like, well, I don't know, like something's going on, but mm. let's do this, you know. So then I open it up. It goes from maybe like 15, 20 miles an hour up to like a hundred immediately within the quarter mile, like just wow. blast. Yeah, it uh, with that rolling start, like kind of getting rolling and then pulling the gear up, it just gunned it. And uh, about around a hundred, uh, the vi- the the vibration of the salt started getting pretty bad, and uh, I had a GPS uh, app on my phone that I just put my phone in the phone holder in the streamliner. It's so ghetto, but it's the <laughs> easiest solution. So I had this like GPS app on my phone. It's just telling me the speed. And at this point, the vibration in the bike is getting so bad that my eyesight is starting to like blur out the gps numbers so i'm like oh, oh like geez. i think 100 like I, I think 110 i can't see and you know the the markers going by are just getting bigger and bigger in their size and so i i, I calmed down i you know this guy bob dalton said go as fast as you feel comfortable and then stay there because it's your first run and you don't need to push it i mean you've never taken this bike up that fast so i stick around 100 or 90 something i, I pull back and stick around 90 and I get to the, the end of the course, which for me, was only, uh, three miles. Right. So they're like, after three miles is your rookie run, pull the chute, come to a stop and then pull off, pull off. I was like, well, wh- how do I know where to pull off? They're like, you'll see it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. Like I can't see anything out of this thing. So, <laughs> uh, I pull the chute, which is great. Shoot pulls barely slows me down. Cause I'm only going hundred. I come to like maybe 30 miles an hour and I've, I've, you know, everything's come back to me as far as muscle memory of, of driving this thing. And at this point, like, it feels great. Cause I've just gone a hundred in it and I'm like cruising at like 30, like kind of just balancing it. And I'm pulling the landing gear uh, back down and nut, the LEDs aren't changing again. And I'm like, well, like I can hear the noise of the, of the motors running in the back. So like something's going on. And, uh, as I'm coming to a, st- almost to a stop, like 10 miles an hour, like the, the left-hand side one t- touches the ground and I'm like, yeah, they're out. Like, I'm just going to, I'm going to put them all the way down and just hang out on them and then cruise until I see where to turn. Well, the right one got stuck all the way up. Oh. So I'm like left one touches the ground. I go to turn and I just freaking 10 miles an hour, just fall over like on the, on the course skid, maybe like 10 feet come to a stop and, you know, a little bit embarrassing, but uh, you know, I think the run was a success in itself. I didn't, I didn't qualify cause I technically tipped over no damage to the bike, no issues with anything, but, um, just a learning lesson. So right now I'm, I'm working on it, making it a more robust system, but it was so, it was so last second. It was so just make it work kind of thing. And, you know, one, one small thing went wrong and caused a small little error at the, at the end, but, and overall it was a great success. I mean, it was a great journey. I had so much fun, especially with my friends, you know, coming out and helping. It was just a, a completely crazy experience, especially for your first time in Bonneville. I mean, I would have loved to just left with a record, but that that's not realistic. You know, everyone says it takes 10 years to get your bike going that fast. So I think I'm on track to be ahead of the game. <laughs> yeah. 
No doubt. So, so how many other um, how many other uh, electric bikes are there? Electric motorcycles. There's um, there's quite a few. Um, okay. There's a couple classes when it comes to motorcycles, and there's different sanctions of racing. Um, there's the green uh, green envy, who's Eva Hawkinson's new bike, which is the replacement for the the kilojoule. I'm really excited to watch them run. That one's a streamliner sidecar. Um, mm. So very similar to mine. They could take the sidecar off and just blow me out of the water, I'm assuming. Uh, but they run with a sidecar. So that's a different class. Um, they've already got like, I think, 270 or something like that, max speed. Wow. Um, they're pretty high up there. And they're running a new car, uh, Bill Dubay. I'm super excited to see that. Um, they should be running in Australia. They're from New Zealand, I'm pretty sure. So they'll be running down there. Um, but I think coronavirus has kind of caught them um, a couple times trying to run. Hmm. So hopefully they'll get a chance to take it out. Cause from what I've heard, it just, it goes, um, it just hmm. needs to be allowed on the course. Um, there's a couple other electric motorcycles there that were running, but they were not streamlined. So I haven't, I haven't seen anyone in my class, but I wouldn't be surprised if someone just showed up with a electric drivetrain and a yeah. streamliner, you know what I mean? So it's not a novel idea. Someone's someone's going to take their streamliner and just shove a Tesla motor in it. And hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it will be after I set at least a record. So, right. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things that, uh, that, you know, people should remember because inevitably if we go back to Burt Monroe and, you know, the world's fastest Indian, mm. Hollywood did a number on that because they compressed everything and you think he, he went very quick on his first time out. It took him six or seven years to get that thing up into shape. Oh, yeah. So you're well on track. <laughs> he wasn't overnight. You know, he didn't, he didn't go to Bonneville and the first time he broke the record. You mm -hmm. know, it took him many years to do it, of coming back. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I've written on the, I've written on the salt and it shakes you up. It is way rougher than oh, yeah. you imagine. Yeah. You see footage of it, and you think it's like last, and it's far from it. And the salt yeah. is actually getting looser than it was 40 years ago. Oh, yeah. And you are getting thrown around. If you're actually sitting on a motorcycle, you can kind of compensate for it a little bit. But that thing you're in, I mean, I remember sitting in the cockpit of it, and it's, yeah. there's just, there's no room very much inside it. It's a very unforgiving environment. Yeah. And you're going to feel everything. The, th the other thing I didn't expect is... I suggest is... a little bit of memory foam on that seat. You know, do you... <laughs> yes? What's that? I lost you, Shay. Oh. Oh, well, yeah. I lost you. The other thing you didn't expect. So, Emma, adjust your mic. I think you're, it's, it's rubbing up against your earrings. Yeah, how about that? Uh, oh, much better. better. Are we better? Yeah. Oh, okay, very. Um, yeah, unfortunately, you're not, you're not supposed to. What's that? I cut you off mid-sentence. Oh, I think uh, from what I've heard, you're not supposed to have memory foam. You're not supposed to have anything in there because <laughs> what that provides you is uh, room to gain acceleration and g-forces so the point of it is you you want to fill you, you want to fill gaps with um with like compressible material but memory foam doesn't allow your seat belts to tighten you down hard enough 
So mm. if you put something that's um, that's like uh, compliant like that, um, basically you're allowing space to for you to to move around, um, right. and they want you to be one with the motorcycle or one with the car. So they want they strap you and I you know my buddy my buddy puts uh, all his weight into pulling up on the on the the seatbelt and I'm like oh yeah like that's tight you know then, yeah someone walks over and they go oh yeah that looks looks okay and then they stick their knee on your chest and like pull up like yank on it even more and you're just like mm. oh yeah that's that's even tighter you know <laughs> oh so, man and the that that kind of level of of safety makes you one yeah. with the bike so the vibration that comes in from that just i couldn't you know I, I was trying imagine taking one of those like back massager things and just putting it on your temple like that's mm. what it feels like and uh, i was trying to readjust my body thinking my helmet was touching the chassis which is great i just it was just my body was just moving with this with the bike i did wow. end up looking through the bike after i brought it back cleaned all the salt off which that was a huge task and it had rusted oh, yeah. within three days so oh, now, yeah. it's, now it's got layers of paint on it i went through with just kansas spray paint and i actually tested the tires and i had a brand new mickey thompson on the front that had a, a bad belt so you know over a 30 a 30 degree course there had like a quarter inch drop and mm -hmm. i called mickey thompson and they said send it back they gave me a new one which is great so then i'm like oh i think that's the problem and then i look at the back wheel which is a good year good year has the same thing they had the same a broken belt and I guess the Goodyear tires are handmade. So they were actually really cool. They called me back a couple of times, like to walk me through, like any of the issues sent me a new tire immediately. So now I have two brand new tires on it. Um, I don't know, hopefully it's a one, you know, one in a thousand thing I encountered with the tires, but it yeah, seems hopefully. to be a lot, a lot more balanced now at this point, I'm going to go through like a final balancing process before I take it back out. But yeah, that should that should eliminate a lot of vibration that was being caused. We'll find out what what comes up next. You know, I'm sure so, something creep up next. There you go. There's there's the segue, Shay. Yeah. What's next? Um. So there is another Bonneville meet um coming up in two weeks, and I'm just I I'm probably gonna decide if I'm gonna go the night before because I'm just I've been working so hard on all the stuff that my job and everything else is kind of. Uh, feeling it so i need to be able to take some time off work if i need to go so I'll, I'll be able to know if the bike will be ready the night before so hopefully i can take it up there again uh with it being so like last second still going to be fighting some of the transportation issues and some of the the labor and help issues and stuff like that but hopefully we can take it out if i don't get to bonneville this year i'll be definitely going to el mirage for some runs i want to take the bike out now that it's more reliable um and i actually got i went to the dmv and set up a serial number for it so i could potentially just drive it down the street to do some testing which would be great <laughs> wow so yeah i thought it'd be can, way harder can can you get insurance for that <laughs> yeah it's an electric they don't it's an electric vehicle right they're just wow. like yeah well i don't i mean you don't have any epa stuff so right <laughs> yeah they i basically said it was a homemade electric um motorcycle and they're like that sounds cool and <laughs> i'm like uh yeah i mean i'm asking you like if, if i can get it titled and they're like yeah i mean as long as you can get the past inspection which is well, just like lights and uh headlight does it, have, does it have a headlight i mean nothing a welder can't fix right <laughs> right i'm oh, gonna have a ton of God. spare parts 
<laughs> just start welding um, stuff to it. Nice. So, a lot of people are hearing this and hearing about you mm. for the very first time. Oh, wow. Right now. Yeah. Even though we're all friends. Yeah. How can people follow you? What is the easiest way to follow the exploits of Shay? Mm-hmm. So I do I do have a YouTube channel, just Shay Nyquist. Um, and you can also just look it up. The name of the project is called Lark Streamliner. The name of my company is called Lark Machine Co. Um, I do have an Instagram, which is probably more up to date. The YouTube maybe has like a video a month just because it's exhausting trying to film yourself and do everything. Um, but yeah, you can follow me. You can check out the project that's been going on YouTube for probably like two or three years now. Um, it's had its ups and downs. Um, but yeah, that and Instagram, that's pretty much the two places I really like post and 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 let people follow and um, check out the story. So, Right. And uh, spell your name, Shay, so yeah. people make sure... It's S-H-E-A, and then Nyquist, just like the theorem or Ryan Nyquist, N-Y-Q-U-I-S-T. There you go. Fantastic. Yeah. Shay, thank you for coming back on. Yeah. Thank you for giving us an update. Thanks for just being fucking awesome. I mean, no problem. the world needs... More daredevils. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you are braver than any anyone else in this room or probably any of our listeners. I would I say mean, brave, maybe just stupider. The you know? thought of <laughs> strapping yourself into that machine. Mm. Uh, um, well, yes, I mean, there is part of that. I mean, you know, um, but good Good God, what an achievement. And having seen this thing in the flesh, mm. it's amazing. It is by far the most impressive machine that I have ever seen. And it's largely the work of one person, you, yeah. which yeah, makes you. it all the more impressive. Have you, uh, so, have you well seen done. it with the bodywork on yet? We, we're it. all going to follow you and we'll be cheering you on. Yeah. Yes. Looks absolutely amazing. Oh man! But it, like, you need you it. need to make it clearer yeah. that it's electric. Yes, I, I kind of like it. And I, I remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when we were at your house, you showed us. You'd kind of sketched out a few designs about how you felt it was going to look. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the bodywork is pretty true to those original designs. Oh yeah, it was it was based on the CAD that I had originally drawn up. So it came off of a CNC, the big, the foam came off of a giant CNC machine. So it was hard for me to mess it up, honestly. <laughs> Thank goodness. Cause wow. I tried everything possible to mess it up, but it just transformed the bike. It turned it from this like backyard, rusty mess of things that didn't make much sense into this like legit, like jet fighter looking like land speed bike. And the moment I, I dropped the canopy on with the polycarbonate and I was just like, I can't believe I built this thing. You know what I mean? Because yeah, in right. my wildest dreams, I didn't think it would ever look that good. So I was like, you know, that was the moment where I just got a, a new like fire to like to keep <laughs> going. Cause it was, this project's been so long. The other thing people don't realize is just the logistics of having a shop that can, um, that can accommodate a streamliner 
is so frustrating. The thing's literally like six inches shorter than my shop. So basically <laughs> it just barely fits in the door. And anytime I want to go get a tool from the toolbox, I have to walk all the way around it and then back over the toolbox and then back to where I was working. So <laughs> I've been, I've been having issues with trying to fit it in the trailer, you know, so it's just a, so, it's a lifestyle. I'm, honestly, I'm not actually going to say the town that you live in because yeah. we don't want you to have unwanted guests, but you live in a town that's known for suburbia. Mm-hmm. And very, very neat houses with manicured lawns. Yeah. And that's not where you live. You live on the outskirts of town, basically in a very rustic house mm-hmm. with I these like... sprawling grounds. And you've got, you've got animals around. You've got goats and chickens mm-hmm. and God knows what, don't you? And oh, yeah. This giant workshop. So, you, wow. I mean, you're very lucky to live in that environment. Yeah, the the shop I, the shop I have is not giant. It's twenty by twenty, um, but the property is really big. So I basically just let the garage puke like out into the driveway. And luckily, we don't have enough neighbors for them that can see anything to care. But uh, we're actually moving into a new place closer down to you guys, um, just north of Santa Cruz. So, oh wow, oh, fantastic! Yeah, which is good. It's a little bit bigger of a shop space, less parking, but it should be nice. So. Well, that's a beautiful neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, keep us in the loop. And yeah. thank you for the update. I mean, yeah. we're going to follow. Is there nothing that you'd like to finish with to let, you know, I mean, it's just us three and a couple of thousand listeners. So yeah. what do you want to, people to know about Shane Nyquist right now? Uh, I guess just go ahead and follow the YouTube. You can check it out. I'm going to be following up with new new uh, stories, new videos about the Landspeed bike. Um, I'm definitely excited about the EV industry. It's where I work. Um, and this is just a, another stepping stone for people to prove that electric motorsports are going to be the wave of the future, which is really exciting from my point of view. So I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it. I'm really stoked on the community of Landspeed stuff. And, you know, after watching watching YouTube and like type it in Bonneville. There's just not, there's not a land speed. Like um, no one cares about land speed racing. Apparently, you know, you watch hmm. these videos online, they get like a hundred to 200 views. And it's Man. just, it's insane when you go there and you see it yourself. And each person has this incredible passion for building some obscure vehicle, which should be in a museum because there's just thousands of hours of work into it. And then you go online and type in like Bonneville and everyone's video has like 400 views, you know, and it's like, Oh, cool. Whatever. You know, I don't think it, I don't think media does it justice, you know, as far as like a NASCAR race, there's millions of dollars there. And in land speed racing, there's just, there's just dudes in their garage and it's probably Hmm. the most homegrown um, racing circuit that could ever be around. I don't know how you could put money into it. There's not like a announcer or anything. And it's just kind of its own thing. If you, if you ever want to go to the salt flats, go during speed week, go during a, a racing thing, it'll blow your mind. I mean, the cars go 400 miles an hour. It looks like jets taking off on a, a, a freaking runway, you know, and you're standing yeah. right there. Yeah. I, I, I still am just enraptured by, by that. And I, I still have dreams of doing that someday maybe, but I, I have not gotten my stuff, my stuff together to, to even think about 
you know, attempting something, but yeah. but I, I, I it, it still holds a great deal of appeal for me. So. Yeah, well, I'll be closer to you guys down uh, soon. So just bring your scooters yeah. over, and we'll we'll get them Bonneville ready for you. <laughs> cool, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds That's great. Awesome. Yeah. Well, All right. more, more importantly, Shay, if you find that you're missing a member of your team, mm-hmm. reach out to the Misfits because one of us would be happy to come um, to either El Mirage or Winnemucca and actually yeah. help you out. So yeah. reach yeah. out, reach out to the Misfits. There is always plenty of man and woman power here to help you out. Yeah, no, that'd be awesome. Definitely. I need to, I need to find like a partner in crime um, that wants to just like, you know, help out with, with everything. So at this point, um, I've definitely got an opening. Right. Well, you know, I like the idea of crew chief because, you know, any opportunity for me to yell at people is very appealing. Uh, Pointing and yelling. We'll get you a fanny pack, like a white jumper Mm. and one of those headsets with the antennas on it. Oh, yes. I like the sound of that. Walk around and yell at people. Yeah, I think I'd have to lose a few pounds before I would get into the white jumpsuit. (laughs) They're flattering. Yeah, well, uh, not on me, darling. I need to knock <laughs> off the cheeseburgers for a couple of weeks. Um, Shay, thank you for being such a gracious guest. It's always a pleasure interviewing you. Yeah. Um, I'm so I'm sorry, my my internet connection is so shitty today, okay. um, and I have no idea why. Because normally it's quite good, so that's why I've turned the video off. Hopefully, I'm coming through a little better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you thank good. you so much. Thank you for keeping us in the loop about what you're doing. Um, it's brilliant. I think it's just the greatest thing. Yeah. Um, be yeah. safe. Thank you. Um, final question. Luck. How how fast are you expecting this thing to actually go? And um, I mean, be bold. Because yeah. you didn't design this thing to do 100 miles an hour. No, that's the, that's the around town speed. Um, right. How <laughs> fast would you like it to go? So for the rules that I've accommodated with no chassis modifications or safety modifications, like I could go above 300. I have two parachutes um, with the motor configuration I have right now. Um, I potentially should be able to hit 300. Um, and that's a bold claim for what I have. But realistically, you know, I've, I've got conservative numbers on my, my um, Excel spreadsheet. And it says 300 is realistic, you know, from the guys at Bonneville, they say that's not an unobtainable number with this chassis. Um, Wow. As far as electric drivetrains go, 180 kilowatts is pretty small at this point. Um, So the same package size could essentially, I could probably throw a Tesla motor in there right now, which is, I think they say they're pushing like 600 horse um, when you push to the limit. So I could double horsepower, which would probably get me. Uh, significantly more speed. I think as a driver, I don't really want to push those limits. Um, so at some point, probably around like upper 200s, I'm going to be looking for someone to drive this vehicle. Um, I just want to get a red hat that says 200 miles per hour, you know, club. <laughs> and then I wouldn't mind having, you know, someone like Guy Martin or Valerie Thompson, like get in there and, and drive it up to what it can do, because I just don't think I'm going to be the person that's going to be able to, to push this thing up above that limit. So Mm. but yeah i'm excited i'm excited to see how fast and go right now the the push in the electric lance or and just in motorcycle land speeds 400 miles an hour so if i could be a person in that game 
um, as like the crew chief and get a driver? Absolutely. I think the changing the battery I changed to can do 600 horse continuous. Mm. Um, so if I swap to a new Tesla drivetrain, I could get 600 horse and that that's without any, um, any weight loss or any weight addition. So wow. it looks like this chassis is pretty flexible. And if we succeed in making what I have right now working really well, it would be a very small, um, financial investment to make it go hopefully three mid threes or above with 600 horse in this chassis. Wow. So man, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, this is, yeah. this, this whole thing was meant to be a stepping stone for electric to hopefully surpass the gas and the gas guys are fighting for 400. Um, I talked to Dennis uh, Manning from the bub thing and they're, they're hopefully going to go out and do some testing this year, which he invited me to, but it's just too expensive for me. Um, but I hope that they, they're ready. They crashed their liner uh, maybe a year and a half ago in Australia with Valerie Thompson, and they just finished rebuilding it and they're going to take it out and do some testing. So they're, I think they're ready to do 400. They're excited. Right. And uh, he's one of the guys that, you know, he had the record for long, for, for a period of time until act took it from him. And right now it floats around 370 the, something. Yeah. The big players. And I mean, I'm out of touch right now. There was the bub guys. Mm -hmm. There was easy hook. And there mm -hmm. was Ack Attack. Yeah. And those were always the big three, probably 10, 15 years ago. And mm. I guess there's still uh, Bub still running. I don't mm. know. Is Easy Hook still running? Unfortunately, he passed away. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Such yeah. so old, uh, out of touch I am. Yeah. But Ack Attack's still around, I think. They are. Um, actually, when I first started building this, I went, I kind of just walked in the door and was like, hey, can I see your streamliner? Um, which is a, a bold maneuver, I guess, in land speed racing, but they were, Mike active was super nice. And he's just like, yeah, come check it out. You know? So, um, Great. when I had seen it, it was in it's, um, I think it was prepared for Bon or Bolivia. And, right. uh, I think they had an issue with Bolivia with the government doing oh, something. Yeah. They, there the was government like seized it. Coup there or something. Yeah. And the government seized the streamliner for a little bit and it took oh, forever to get it back. And Yikes. so I haven't seen them since I haven't, I, I've talked to Mike maybe a, a couple of years ago about some aerodynamic stuff, but, um, yeah, it might be cool to get in touch with them. I know he moved and honestly, he moved to be, Bolivia. To no. <laughs> he moved down the street from his shop, but I wouldn't be surprised if he showed up and had an electric drivetrain in his streamliner so that's my only concern is that there's another guy on the block with a with a streamliner ready to go 400 and i wouldn't be surprised if he shoehorned a, a electric drivetrain in there to get that record so i need to get out there and get something on the board before i just get annihilated by you know architect so <laughs> well cool. don't you know i mean you can say, well, I'm behind them in terms of maybe streamlining mm. and just being on the salt. But you're years ahead in propulsion because, you know, number one, this is your job. Yeah. And number two, I mean, you, you, you've been trying this stuff, so you know what's working and what's not working. So yeah. it's, it's – but I agree. I mean, yes, get out there, break some records, be famous. <laughs> uh, so I shall do my best. Say, we know famous people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. All right. Cool. Good luck, Shay. Yeah, thank yes, you guys so much say, for having yeah. me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah good you. luck, Shay. Please keep us in the loop. Um, you have an open invite to come back on the show anytime you want. 
Yeah. Um, tell us about your progress to vent. If you guys ever need a phone a friend for electric uh, vehicle stuff, you guys can call and I'll, I'll uh, play referee and solve your, your arguments. Nice. Ooh, very yeah. good. <laughs> very good. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's the usual argument. Whenever we have electric propulsion people on the show, mm-hmm. they're wildly enthusiastic about their vehicles. Oh, yeah. And then the infernal combustion people are naturally quite reticent about embracing electric propulsion for mm-hmm. a variety of reasons. Yeah. And so, you know, there's, there's, there's some chafing between them, but I think it's an inevitability that we all have to, have to sort of have to face that electric propulsion is just going to become more and more prevalent as time yeah. goes on. I think, I think uh, motorcycles would be the last to embrace it though. Honestly, it's a, if you look at like a gas sport bike, they're just miles ahead of like anything you can do with electric setup. So my take on electric is it's great for cars. It's great for trucks. But um, when you get into the smaller vehicles, like, uh, like motorcycles, I mean, you just can't compare. Look at an Alta versus like a CR250. Like it's just not there. Yeah. But, but that, that also depends a lot on, on battery technology, because if there's a breakthrough where you can get more power. Oh yeah per pound you know that can change the whole game I, th- I mean i think we're all looking for that breakthrough mm-hmm. um, yeah. but you know there's just there's just something about motorcycles you know i've i've been looking at getting um a van for my shop i mean mm-hmm. since since we last interviewed you i now have my own motorcycle shop yeah and i, I was thinking of getting a transit and of course, nobody's got any because there's a nationwide shortage of the Bad plastic life. things. Um, and um, the uh, Ford has told me that they are releasing the e-transit next mm. spring cool. um, for actually less money than the gas one, mm. which is quite exciting. And so that's wow. going to have. Um, they say they say, and how true it is, it's going to be about 250 horsepower equivalent. And have about a three hundred mile range, which would be ideal for me. Yeah. Oh, that's great for for vehicles like that, like mail trucks, things that have uh, specified routes or smaller right. uh, range requirements. Electric vehicles are absolutely the way to go. Um, right. You know, I I wouldn't wouldn't mind driving one to work and back, or you know, having you know some of my vehicles be electric. I typically opt to use my electric bike to go places just because one, it's faster, it's fun, it's easier. Um, but you know, as far as other vehicles, motorcycles don't fall into that, like a van transit, you know what I mean? Motorcycles right. are, are for fun. So exactly. And yeah. you know, you have to have that fun experience. And I, mm. I had an absolutely amazing ride on my ancient RF 900 yesterday mm. uh, and it's great. You know, it's 125 horsepower carburetted. Um, it's all the smells, all the noise, all the vibration, all the power. You know, I yeah. needed fuel halfway through the day, pulled into a gas station, filled it up, and off I went for another 180 miles. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's kind of hard to beat right now. Um, and I agree with Bagel. I mean, we'll get there. There will be a battery breakthrough. Yeah. But I'm not expecting it tomorrow or next week or even next year. I think it's... Um, I think the days of people having these 
eureka moments are largely over. I mean, it's just going to be sheer hard work yeah. perfecting technology to, to make batteries more efficient than they are. I think part of it is too, like people love wrenching. I mean, I, I come from a Harley background, so people love right. wrenching on their bike, right? Like, I mean, uh, a motorcycle owner is more likely to change his oil than a car owner, right? I mean, Ooh, I agree. It's part right? of the experience. Yeah. Yeah. So the funny thing was there was a couple other electric teams, EV West, um, Revolt, um, and we were at the start line and we were talking about electric stuff, right? And these are these are top edge electric nerds on a Bonneville salt talking about like, like IGBTs and batteries and, you know, like DCIR, like all the stuff you would talk about with another engineer. And we were just at one moment, we all kind of like stopped talking and we realized we were just being like uber nerdy, like land speed nerdy, but in the totally wrong way. Like everyone, <laughs> everyone else there is talking about like nitro, uh, you know, nitro tuning and like all this other stuff that has to do with like gasoline. And we're just like, you know, we're just talking about like all the completely wrong stuff and everyone, you know, anyone who walked up the conversation is just like, I don't even know what these guys are saying right now, you know, like no <laughs> clue. Right. So it was, uh, I think that once people start to, uh, resolder their IGBTs or, you know, add heat sinks and cooling channels and get more horsepower and stuff, I think there's going to be a whole nother resurgence of like excitement about electric vehicles. Once hopefully people are allowed to work on them because, Part of the problem with electric vehicles is you're not really allowed to work on them and that kind of takes the, the fun away from having a motorcycle in itself so right yeah i hope that's something that becomes a, adopted hopefully it just becomes a thing when they're more prevalent that people just know they can work on them and and do their own stuff so well you know i'm i'm a great fan of a cartoon called future armor which oh, yeah. i know <laughs> some people and i think in one episode um farnsworth clones grandchild overclocks bender oh yeah yeah it gets arrested for it because they overclock the robot mm -hmm. so hopefully in 20 years time we'll all be overclocking our motorcycles and being on the wrong side of the law you know, <laughs> the, uh, the zero police will come looking for us because we've overclocked our bikes yeah <laughs> nice all right well um Shay, I'm going to wish you a good night. Your dog looks like it's about to expire. Yeah, he's tired. <laughs> oh, poor guy. <laughs> um, in there. And please say hi to your dear wife, Amanda, for us. Yeah, and, and the new baby, uh, too, as well. Oh, congratulations. congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, she's seven is months it? now, so. Oh, yeah. That's great. That is brilliant. Oh, yeah. really? That's, that's wonderful news. Mm -hmm. So once again, thank you for the update. Yeah. Please come on again whenever you've got news to share. Absolutely. We can do. All right. Thanks. Thanks for we're going to be recording for the next 10 minutes or so. You're welcome to hang out or just um, buzz off and do do what electrical engineers do at this time of night. Yeah. Go stare at the motorcycle for like 20 minutes. That sounds good. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> cool. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Good night, Bye -bye. Shay. Good night. So there you have it. That's awesome. Is that brilliant? Yeah. So um, great and, to catch up with Shay. No, it is great to catch up with Shay. Um, and um, very, very nice family. And this achievement is absolutely amazing. Yeah. yeah. It really is. Um, it, and I'm expecting big things from that vehicle.
Yeah, I've I've been excited to th- to follow along what he's been up to, and and when I you know saw the videos he posted from uh, the lead up to Bonneville and at Bonneville, I was just I was just so so thrilled. And even though there were mishaps and stuff, it was just exciting to see how far he's come, and and knowing that he's still working at it, and he's going to yeah. come back again. And I can't wait to see what uh, what he comes up with next time at Bonneville. No, he's he's absolutely dedicated. Yeah. So um. Let's have a look. I mean, we've been doing this for about an hour and 40 minutes now. Do you think it's about time to wrap it up? So well, we you've, can, uh... you've got an email, Emma, don't you? Actually, I do. Let me see. Um, yeah. I'll read my email and then uh, we can uh, let's have a look. See if I can find it. Cause you know, I, I can am... do what? Why don't, why don't you let me do mine? And then uh, as you, yeah, find you your... do yours, you do. Okay. You. Alrighty. So. This is from Trevor, uh, and Trevor, and the title is "Best Beginner Spike for My Wife." So this is pertinent to my life and what we've been through. Okay. So it says, "Hello, gang. I recently married my beautiful and wonderful wife on September third. Congratulations. Uh, we made this uh, trip to have a beautiful small wedding in Glacier National Park in Montana. It was amazing. Back when we were dating and engaged, she loved riding motorcycles with me in the back of my SV SV six fifty. Okay. She wants to get into motorcycle riding, but hasn't rode her own bike since uh, this parted together homemade pit bike thing that was like 25 cc's. Right. I don't know if, if I should start by getting her a dirt bike, as, as that's what you guys have said is a great way to learn, or or I should start on the street so she can ride with me. We live in a small town of, of Cortez, Colorado. I'm not terribly worried about traffic, as it's a country town with not much traffic and usually very nice drivers. She's five foot eight and a half inches tall. Would you recommend? What would be your recommendation for a beginner bike for her to be? Should I start in dirt or not worry about a street bike or consider one for her? I sat her on a 2013 Honda CBR500R Thumper. When she saw it, she liked it. She seemed to be a good fit for and could flat feet both, but she said it was a lot and maybe too big of a bike. I couldn't tell if she was scared or try, and tried to ride it or maybe the weight was higher um, on a sport bike like, like a cruiser. What would your recommendation be on a bike? And... Uh, my mind went to a gold wing, but maybe there's something better, <laughs> uh, more affordable. Maybe thanks. Um. Well, that you they, know that they both can ride. On, they want. Uh, sorry, we both can ride along motorcycle trips. Gold wing is probably not the right. No, choice. I mean a gold gold wing's a huge thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, she's got a bit of height to her, five eight and a half. Taller than I am. Yeah, but you know the thing is with um. When you're just starting out, you know, weight is everything and, you know, perceived weight. You know, the good thing about bikes is if you buy a little bike, when you're done with it, it's really easy to pass it on. You know, you never have trouble selling a little bike. Right. So, um, you know, I think I'd start her off on on a little cruiser and just, you know, see how she does. You don't need to start off on a on a 500. Now, you know, I've been, I've been looking at things like the, um, now we just bought a bike. So this is before that, Emma, um, but the, uh, that Royal Enfield, is it the meteor, the small one? Yeah. I think it's a three fifty. Yeah. That looks like a really interesting starter bike to me. Yeah. That's a little thumper or you've got yeah. all the cruisers, you know, yeah. you've got the rebels and you've got even, even the Suzuki GZ two fifty, which is an ancient design, but it's. It's all the fun you can have with about 10 horsepower, but you know, it's, it's great to get your feet wet. Yeah. Um, 
or if she likes that sport bike style, um, Ninja 300 or Ninja 400. Yeah, you know, of all the bikes uh, Melissa sat on, other than the Rebel that we bought, she really did like that Ninja. The Ninja yeah, well, they're great-looking bikes. They make a good amount of power without being yep. intimidatingly large. Yeah. Um, and while we're on the subject, that R3s are great bikes. Uh-huh. If she likes that sport bike style. And the thing is, the best news is everyone says the same thing. Oh, you're going to get tired of the power. You're going to, you know, you're going to be looking for power very soon. And maybe that's true. But if it is, number one, you've learned on a very low power bike, which is great. Mm -hmm. Number two, you're going to sell it straight away. That's right. You, you know, if you've got a decent R3 or a decent Ninja 300 or even 400, you're going to sell it in a heartbeat. Um. So, yeah, I, I, don't know. I mean, living in a country yeah. town, if if they were living in the city, I think we'd be having a very different conversation. Right, right. But, but involving dirt bikes. But living in a quiet country town, especially with pleasant drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, why not? Learn on the street. Yeah, he's got a lot of, she has a lot of options. And, uh, you know, I, like I did with my wife, I think you got to sit on bikes and see what she likes. And, but the thing is, is it's, you know, at this point in the race, she's, it's not, not the only bike she's ever going to own. So. Right. Exactly. So just just buy some. Pick, pick something popular. Yep. Um, buy it, keep it for six months, get her to learn her craft yep. and then just go up through the ranks. Um, and I would suggest uh, something to use. So you're not too worried about dropping it. Right. And, you know, let's dispel the myth that you need a Goldwing for long-distance touring. Goldwings are amazing long-distance bikes. They're supremely quiet and smooth and comfortable. However, there's a lot of 500cc bikes that are equally capable of riding a huge distance. The Himalayan. Yeah, Yeah. Himalayan's one of them. Um, In fact, one of our regulars, Z-Traveler, Hello, Z. I know she listens to this. She's been riding around the country for years on a DR350. So, you know, anything's capable. You know, anything's capable of far beyond what you think it is. I've ridden a Vespa 250 around the country, you know, for tens of thousands of miles. Right. So, yeah, anything can do it that, you know, is capable of the speeds you need to go. Right. So, you know, don't think you need the giant touring bike to do giant touring miles. Yeah. So there's a wonderful picture of them uh, at the, on their wedding. And he's, I believe he's a Marine. Uh, so in his dress blues. So Ooh, I fantastic. Just, just want to say thanks for serving and congratulations on your wedding. God, God bless you all. Oh, that's Congrats. just great. So um, we'll do a last email and then I think we'll, uh, we'll get out of here. And, um, I'm going to do this in an accent of a woman from Birmingham. What a surprise there. (laughs) Hello, Misfits. I hope you're all doing well and staying safe. My name is Dan. I'm a Scotsman from Glasgow, if you like to be precise with the accent, as I know Bagel does. Och, hoots the new morn. From Glasgow. It's a bro bricht moonlicht nicht. Apparently. <laughs> How about that? That's awesome. Lovely. Yeah, thank you. I thought you'd like that. <laughs> I'm currently living in Canada, eh? 
What ah. a hoser. <laughs> like most people going through this pandemic, I've been questioning my career, i.e. continuing as is or changing. A big draw for me is becoming a mechanic. Something has been on my mind since a young age. Up until now, I've been repairing my own cars and bike and also helping out friends with their problems, which I really enjoy. Um, my question is, what are your thoughts on this? And also, what is the best route to start off as a career as a motorcycle mechanic? Any tips? I'm 29 if this helps. Um, thank you for the motorcycle entertainment you have brought to us, especially through the lockdowns because of COVID. All the best, Dan. Give it a means. Well, Dan, um, I'm going to tell you something right now, which might um, help you in your decision. So, um, as you all know, I've been involved peripherally with the motorcycle industry for a long, long time. And every single motorcycle shop in the United States, Canada, England, Europe, has one thing in common right now is that all looking for decent mechanics because mechanics are a dying breed mm. and there's a variety of reasons for that um we're moving into a far more technology-based education system um and actually being a mechanic and basically spending your career with your hands filthy is quite a hard sell in 2021. Right. Um, it's very, very hard to, to find decent mechanics. So I pretty much guarantee you, if you want to follow a path as a mechanic, you will never be short of work. Now, I'm at the twilight of my career. I mean, Mototown is a 10-year project. And after 10 years, I'll probably be ready to hang up my mechanics gloves. And for all I know, my riding gloves as well. I mean, I, I've got this idea in my head that the two are inextricably linked. Because I am quite a hard rider. And I think I would rather not ride than ride in a feeble fashion. You know? Um, mm. But we'll see. But at 29 years old, I mean, I was 29... 30 years ago. So he's really starting out on his career and he's going to see some amazing changes over the next yeah. 30 years. Um, he's going to be involved with um, internal combustion all the way through electric. Um, I really see a resurgence of hydrogen fuel cell. And I think particularly for motorcycles, hydrogen fuel cell is a very, very good alternative because you don't need to worry about these giant bulky batteries. Um, so, but there is the Hindenburg, though. You know, we do have that. Well, no, yes. But, <laughs> you know, tra-la-la. -la. Yeah. Um, I think hydrogen technology has moved on a bit since then. But I would hope so. <laughs> would. True. Um, so he's going to see a great many changes, but no, I think it's a it's a it's an admirable thing, and it's clearly something he enjoys doing. Um, so, um, do you suggest that somebody like that goes through one of the mechanic training schools, or yes. is it better just to apprentice yes. in the shop? Because it's a starting point, and you've got to remember it's a starting point. Mm. When you go through MMI, say, which is the Motorcycle Mechanics Institute. 
A dealership, when they're looking for a mechanic, they will look to the graduating class of their local MMI and they'll start interviewing the people there and see if there's anybody they like. And that's usually what happens. Mm. Um, as a student at MMI, you've got to be careful that you don't get yourself so full of yourself and so cocksure that I know everything about bikes now when I'm cock of the north. Because all they do at MMI <laughs> is they give you the basics. They get you kind of on the ladder. They don't teach you anything about flat rate. They don't teach you anything about how to actually function in a shop environment. They really say, this is how you fix motorcycles. So there's a couple of things that, you know, if Dan came to me and said, I want to be a motorcycle mechanic, can you give me some Emma advice? I'd say, well, um, you need to be strong in math and um, strong in physics because you need to understand how things work. It's all very well saying, well, these are the components of a carburetor. But you need to understand flow characteristics to understand how a carburetor works. So brush up on your maths, brush up on your physics, learn everything that you are taught at, say, MMI. Keep your mind open. Be honest. There's a lot of people who are dishonest in the motorcycle industry. Not so much now. 30 years ago, it was full of people who were just out to make a quick buck. And you don't need to be dishonest. You can make a very, very good living by charging a fair amount and doing good work. And, and that will ensure return business as well. So well, that's absolutely. very important. But the, the biggest thing, and you really, it's as hokey as this is going to sound, you must never lose sight. You have to genuinely care about the welfare of your customers. Yeah. And genuinely care about this. Because if you yeah. bring your Prius or your Camry in for a service and they fuck up the brakes or, you know, don't do the lug nuts up tight enough, you might have a bit of a bump. You know, there might be some insurance things floating around. It's going to be ugly, but you're going to be there to talk about it. If you do the same on a sport bike, you can kill your client very, very quickly and very effectively. Yeah. As easily as putting a knife in their heart. And you never need to lose sight of that. Mm -hmm. And it's a tightrope because... You don't want to cripple yourself with this insecurity that am I going to mess up and hurt one of my customers? So you walk this tightrope that you're always mindful that your work has to be to a high standard to keep your customers safe. But you can't lie awake at night thinking to yourself, oh, did I do up that rear wheel axle on that bike? You just can't do that. You yeah. absolutely have to trust your ability that you did. And you learn to check and double check and triple check your work as you kind of go. Um, 
And, you know, I always say to people when they're starting out, you know, just a little pot of water-based paint, you know, some whiteout is great for it. Tighten up a nut, put a blob of whiteout on it. So when you look at the bike and you look at all the little dots of whiteout and say you've done the front forks on a bike, you can look at the bolts on the triple tree, little white piece, little dot of whiteout, you did those. Lower triple tree, little dot. Caliper bolts, little dot. Axle bolts, little dot. So you can you can follow your progress. And then, of course, because it's white out, it all washes off when you do the final clean on the bike. Um, but I've I've had a very, very good living out of working on bikes for decades. And I'd highly recommend it. I think it's a wonderful way to make a living. And it's a great way to make friends. Mm-hmm. If you if you genuinely love motorcycles and you genuinely love people who ride them like i do you'll never be short of friends and if you have your own motorcycle shop like i do you always have people hanging out with you it's great i absolutely <laughs> love it nice. i really wouldn't want to be involved in any other industry so go for it got nothing that is, to lose. That is million dollar advice right there well really you good. know i he's 29 years old and nobody's got the slightest fuck about what they're going to do before <laughs> they're 35. That's so true. He's got six years. Mm-hmm. He's got six years to get himself to MMI, which is a year's course, do a couple of years in a motorcycle shop. And if he decides he absolutely hates it, he's still only 32. You yeah. know? Right. Got plenty of years left. You know, there are people who are 50 years old and still don't know what they want to do with their lives when they grow up. And something to fall back on if he has to. Exactly. You know, um, and, you know, as everybody who's regular listener to the podcast knows, I mean, I still maintain my commercial license so that if, you know, if ever I found myself that I became so disillusioned with the industry or you know, my arthritis got so bad that I couldn't work anymore. I can go back to driving heavy, heavy buses yep. and make my living doing that. Be it, it'd be a tough sell after owning my own bike shop, but it's having that backup. I mean, I guess he's got a career now, so that's mm-hmm. his back. Yeah, I, I would say at this stage he's got absolutely nothing to lose. Yeah, I would say twenty nine. Take a risk. It's time. You oh, know, you, you won't have. The- you won't have the opportunity to do it when you're my age. Well, yeah. and you know, and the thing is, it's a good age because at 21, mm-hmm. you know, you're still, you know, guys are still being ruled by testosterone at 21. <laughs> so the brains so still aren't fully formed yet. Right, exactly. The decision making process is being ruled by the groin and not the brain. <laughs> so, you know, you want somebody with a bit of maturity working on your bike. You know, you want, and 29 is a very, very good age to do it. So um, keep us in the loop, Dan. I I really think you should. And if you want a taster of it, get friendly with your local bike shop. And, you know, you can either go to the independent, but I think at your stage, you should go to the biggest bike shop in the nearest big town, the multi-line bike shop, because this is where you're going to start your career. Mm. And just go in and say, hey, this is what I want to do. Can I, you know, 
work for you guys weekends come in on saturday and kick around and clean a few bikes and mount a couple of tires and just play around with the mechanics and not get in anyone's way um and just see what the environment's like because believe me it's one thing helping your friends out and fixing their bikes but it's another thing hustling on flat rate in a multi-line yeah. motorcycle shop right. when you've got the service manager breathing down your neck saying, hey, where's that service? Where's this tire change? Where's that fork seal job? Come on, I've got the customer waiting. You know, it's a very, very different environment. It's a brilliant environment. It's very, very fast paced. You know, I've never been paid hourly. I've always worked on bikes on flat rate. And you learn how to hustle because you can make bank on flat rate, but you can also, you can lose, lose a lot of money. Yeah. If Honda yeah. say it takes four hours to service a Goldwing and it takes you eight, well, guess what? You just worked eight hours, but you're still only getting paid for four. Yeah. Conversely, if you can do that service safely in three you're still getting paid four hours, and you just gained an hour, mm -hmm. you can do a couple of tire changes. So in yeah. four hours, now you just got paid five and a half. Nice. That's great. Yep. So, you know, work on flat rate, work for a multi-line dealership. Um, go for it. Yeah. Exactly. Well, this was a fun podcast. Yeah. yeah, I think so. And um, good Lord, we've been doing this for two hours. Well, yeah. um, I really want to thank all our listeners because yeah. they've they've put up with <laughs> us, in effect, running the show. Um, so thank you all very much. I want to say a big thank you to John for running the board. It's kind of a little bit of a trial by fire for you, wasn't it, John? <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. a at the deep end but here we are we've done three of these things and um liza's going to be back next week oh yes thank you <laughs> <laughs> i'm so happy to have this computer back to her you don't even know <laughs> so, well thanks john we, we appreciate all your efforts no, no thank we, you we really my, do pleasure. Appreciate my pleasure um yes good luck with the uh, transmission work valuable and um, yes, thank you Let's do this again next week, shall we? Right on. Sounds like a lovely idea. So, um, I think that's it. So, right. that's good. This is Emma. Bagel. Stucky John. And we are out of here. Out. Cool. 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 Cool.